So we are in Journey Through Genesis, and tonight we're going to be in Genesis chapter 4, and uh, we're, we're, going to be, um, we're going to be digging around in some really, really deep stuff. <clears throat> this is uh, profound and, and fascinating to me. Some of my favorite stuff in the Bible is found right here. So I want to say a prayer uh, as we get into it, and I want to say... Um, Want to say a prayer, and then then I want to jump <clears throat> jump right in, do a little review, and uh, and get into Genesis four. Thank you so much, Father, for your your holy word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. And I pray, God, that you would just um, help me to speak, Lord, to teach, God, uh, from from these amazing scriptures that that really tell the story. This is the narrative. This is the foundation for the rest of the Holy Bible. And I pray, God, that we could capture some of the truths here in Genesis 3, Genesis 4. And I just pray that you'd help us in that tonight in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right. So Genesis uh, chapter 4, by way of review, I want to mention that we looked at the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. Last time, we talked about how that when Eve ate of the fruit, nothing happened. But when Adam ate of the fruit of the tree, all hell broke loose. The Bible says when Eve ate, nothing happened. It says she gave to her husband and he ate and the eyes of both of them were opened. So it was when Adam ate of the fruit that their eyes were opened. They knew they were naked. They were ashamed. They hid themselves. We know that the serpent beguiled Eve, tricked Eve. She was deceived. Paul says this. Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. And when you look at that, and this is a little review, but when you look at that in its totality, when you consider the fact that Adam going into this with his eyes wide open, not being deceived. He is the ubermensch. He is the superman. He is intellectually firing on all cylinders, spiritually, physically firing on all cylinders. He's as much like God without being God as is possible. Deer beget deer, fish beget fish. God had a son. His name was Adam. He fellowships with the Almighty. So he walks into this situation with this outlaw serpent, this snake, this satanic force that's already leading a rebellion against God and in essence commits high treason. He's not tricked. He bows the knee. He says, I'm going to change sides. So he joins an already established confederacy of rebels. He leaves the union, seeds from the union, uh, leaves the union and joins this already established confederacy of outlaws. And so, thus, by one man, all are sinners. It all came because of that, including his wife. We talked about some of the depth there. I don't want to go into it, but I believe that Adam could have spared Eve as her intercessor and go between He had already shed his blood for her. She came out of his bloody side. 
But rather than doing that, her intercessor failed. Now, we have an intercessor, though, an Adam, the last Adam, whoever lives to make intercession for his bride. He'll never fail us. His blood will never lose its power. Amen? Beautiful story. But I want to review and, and show you this in Genesis three fifteen. Look at this. This is what theologians call the proto-evangel or the proto-evangelium. It is the first mention of the gospel, the good news. He says, the Lord says to the woman, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Or he's talking to the devil, the snake, but it's the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is speaking of the ultimate defeat and crushing of the enemy of the devil at the hands or at the heel, you could say, of the seed of the woman, which would be Jesus Christ. Now, we know the back of the story. They don't know this. Adam and Eve don't know this. They don't know that there's going to be a a woman named Mary, and Mary's going to have a son named Jesus. They don't know this. All they know is that God said to Eve, you're going to have a son who will reverse the curse. That's all they know. They've never had children before. They've never seen anybody have children before. They're the first two human beings. So everything is brand spanking new to them. So they're looking at this, going into this, not understanding how it is going to unfold. Now, let's look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. So she conceived. I don't want to get graphic. But all of this is new. They don't, they don't know the way, uh, you know, the things that we... They don't have an OBGYN to go to. And so she starts feeling funny. Things start happening, changing. Her tummy starts growing. She realizes she's pregnant. This is new to them. And so she goes to full term, and she has a son. And, and the wording is, I have acquired a little man. you got to think about it. A baby is a little bitty human being. And so she says, I've gotten a man, a little a little tiny man from the Lord. And they're thinking, they have to be thinking, this is the seed that will reverse the curse. And the curse was a bad thing. He's going to work and sweat, and the ground's not going to cooperate with him. Adam and Eve are going to have marriage trouble. They're going to need counseling. And there's no counselors. I mean, it's a struggle. The struggle is real. Things are difficult. And they're wanting this curse to end. It's a dreadful curse. 
Everything has been knocked off its axis. What was autonomous and spontaneous is now difficult and requires effort. I mean, it's hard work just to survive. And they're wanting relief from the curse. And so they have a little man from the Lord, and they're thinking, this is the one. He's going to undo everything. They have to be thinking this. Now, not only do they have to be thinking this, but the devil has to be thinking the same thing. This is, this is the one that was promised is going to take back this crown of authority that Adam gave to me. Now, remember in Genesis 1.26, we talked about this man was given dominion of the planet. He was told to subdue this planet. Well, there was, an already, uh, there was already an outlaw spirit here, as we've seen, the devil and his minions, the demons, spirits, fallen angels, what have you. And so when, when the devil came, Adam could have cast the, the devil out of the garden. He was supposed to take over the planet. He had that authority, the power, the authority to make that happen. But instead of doing that, he bowed the knee. When you go to the temptation... And if you think I'm like making this up, you go to the temptation of Jesus. Look in Matthew 4, look in Luke 4, and you'll see where the devil takes at, uh, Jesus, the last Adam, to, to the pen, to, to up in the air and shows him all the kingdoms of this world in a moment of time. And he says, all of these I'll give to you because they've been given to me. Now, this is a temptation to the Christ. So either if, it's, if, it's, if the devil's lying and Jesus doesn't know it, he's not a good Jesus. If the devil's lying and Jesus does know it, it's not a temptation to him. This is a temptation. I'll give you these kingdoms because they've been given to me. Who gave them to him? Adam did. Jesus came to take them back. And so this is legit. The devil knows I have a limited amount of time because there's a prophecy from Almighty God that this girl is going to have a son who will take back this authority and, and this power over these, the kingdoms of this world. Remember Handel's Messiah, which is scriptural, taken from Revelation, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. That's, that's what's going to happen. We sing it every year at the pilgrimage down at First Baptist downtown. Those of you who go, we get in the mass choir and we belt out Handel's Messiah, us, us brave souls. And, uh, and, and you don't have to be a good singer. Trust me. I'm in there, and I know the guys next to me can't sing either. And we belt out Handel's Messiah. But the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. So the, the devil knows his time is limited. Okay, and so it all was given to him back at the fall. And so he knows there, this girl's having, she's having a son that's going to take it all back. And so Cain is born. And, and Adam and Eve and the devil, like, this is the one. And then she has another son and names him Abel. And so now it's, it's one of the other. One of these boys is going to undo the curse. One of these boys is going to defeat the devil. That's what they're thinking. Now, I want to show you that, uh, that that is the case. I'll just tell you. The, let, let me go there. In John chapter 8, uh, I, want to, I want to look at John chapter 8 and show you this interesting story. 
Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? The Bible, the, if the, like I've said at the beginning of this series, Genesis is the soil out of which the rest of the Bible grows. It springs forth from Genesis. And if you can get Genesis, if you can get your mind wrapped around some of these concepts in the early part of Genesis, the rest of the Bible will start to make sense. Because if you don't understand the fall of man and the role of the devil and all of that, it, it will confuse you when you get later into some scriptures. So, John chapter 8, uh, it says that uh, verse uh, 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Indeed, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say we'll be made free? Now, first of all, isn't that ridiculous? We've never been in bondage to anyone. I mean, they're in Rome. I mean, Rome has taken over them. What about Babylon? What about Assyria? What about Egypt? We've never been in bondage to any man. How can you say we'll be made free? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sins, a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek, listen, you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father And you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to Jesus, Abraham's our father. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they've said, Abraham's our father. Now they've said, God is our father. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come in myself, for he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, listen, the devil. Everybody say the devil. And the desires of your father you will do. He was a murderer. From the beginning. The first murder was inspired by the devil. And the first murder is when Cain killed Abel. Now why did Cain kill Abel? Well, Cain killed Abel because he was inspired of the devil. And the devil was wanting to kill two birds with one stone. Both of these boys could have been the seed of the woman that would reverse the curse. And so the devil wanted to knock them out. If I get one to kill the other, that will knock both of them out. Neither one. I'll thwart the plan of Almighty God. Now, that's the bottom line. The devil was wanting to kill the seed of the woman. But let's go and see specifically how it took place back in Genesis 4. Genesis 4. 
It says, sheep bore again this time his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of the flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Let's talk about that for a minute. Cain offered vegetables and fruit, the stuff that he was farming. He, he was a farmer's market guy, and he took all his farmer's market stuff, and he offered it on an altar to the Lord, and the Lord didn't like his offering. Abel was a shepherd and had sheep, and he took his, the firstlings of his sheep, and he brought them and built an altar and offered up a blood sacrifice, and God respected that. But God didn't respect Cain's. Now, there are preachers and their teachings that say that it was because Abel brought like his second and third and fourth fruits. He didn't bring his first fruits. And Abel brought the first of his flock. I don't believe that's the case. I think it had to do with the fact that it was blood or not blood. And where would Abel get the idea to offer blood sacrifices? He would get it from his father, Adam, because Adam was covered in bloody skins when he had tried to cover himself in fig leaves and God offered up blood, took the skins and covered Adam and Eve in those skins and shed blood. And where do you think Abel got the concept? He got it from Adam. Adam got it from God. Offering blood, sacrifices, building altars, calling on the name of the Lord. It was uh, back in those days, it was putting your faith in the cross. It was looking forward to the cross. We do the same thing on this side of Calvary and we look back to the lamb. They were looking forward to the lamb. And, and they were offering those sacrifices on those altars. We do the same thing looking back. We're baptized. We call on the name of the Lord. We're, 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 we've got what we do looking back. They had what they did looking forward. Are you with me? And so the idea of blessed sacrifice came from God. And that's what Abel was doing. That's what Cain was not doing. And so Cain is jealous over his brother because of church stuff. It's not like it's not like Abel was flirting with Cain's girlfriend. It's that he was offering a sacrifice that God accepted and Cain's was not being accepted by God. And and Abel Cain was jealous of Abel because of these church matters. And so the Lord appeared to him and said, "Why are you ticked off? What's wrong with you, son?" Now, I'm just paraphrasing. You can look at it in the scripture there, those next verses. Why are you ticked off? And he said, don't you understand? Don't you understand that if, 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 you, if you don't change your ways, the wording is that sin lies at the door. Now, that can mean a couple of different things. It can mean that there's a lamb outside your tent door. You can go offer a lamb. But it could also mean if you don't change your ways, you're going to commit sin that you'll later regret. Either way, it can go either way in the scripture. And so we're not exactly sure, but he was warned. And this is fascinating to me because a man that had murder in his heart hated his brother. The Lord doesn't come to him and say, you low down piece of junk. I'm sorry that you were ever born. I'm going to wipe you out, make you a greasy spot on the road. But he confronts him and begins to deal with him about 
the sin that is in his heart and his disobedience. Because that's how God really is. That's the nature of our God. He's not wanting to wipe you out. He's wanting to lift you up. He's wanting to help you out. Not wipe you out, help you out. He wants to help me out too. And so he begins to deal with him about the sin that's in his heart and it's about to manifest in his world. And, and so what does Cain do? Instead of repenting, instead of offering a lamb as a sacrifice, instead of saying, I'm sorry to his brother, he goes out and finds his brother in a field and gets a stone and beats him to death. Now, why does he do that? Again, he was inspired by the devil. The devil took the jealousy in his heart and manipulated him to do something to thwart the plan of God. And listen, that's the way the devil operates. You just think, I'm mad at them. They did me wrong. I'm ticked off here. I got this issue with that person. We, just, we have all these reasons <coughs> why we get caught in a funk and in some darkness and, and the devil will manipulate and massage all of that to get us to go against the purposes of Almighty God. And we'll end up doing all kind of dumb things thinking it's just, you know, it's just me. There's nothing spiritual involved in it. And really the devil's just like the Godfather back there. You know, he's pulling the puppet strings and, and, and playing us like a violin. And so... Uh, Abel is killed by his brother and Jesus, who was the seed of the woman in John chapter eight. Jesus didn't mince words. Jesus didn't have a identity crisis. It's not like Jesus, you know, told Mary and Joseph one day, I got to find myself, you know, like, who am I? You know, I just don't know who I am. I, I think I'm going to run off to the big city and, you know, find myself. Like Jesus knew who he was. And so when he's having this conversation with those, those religious people, he said, you're of your father, the devil. But listen to what he said. In his will, you will accomplish. What was the devil's will? He was a murderer from the beginning. He wanted to murder the seed of the woman from the beginning. And he failed because Cain and Abel they were not the seed of the woman that was prophesied. Jesus was. And he looked at him and he said, you will accomplish what he wanted to accomplish all those millennia ago. You will do it. But the devil didn't know the rest of this story because he would die, but that heel would crush the head of the serpent and the Son of God would rise out of an empty tomb and say, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. It was all about the victory of the seed of the woman. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Back over in Genesis chapter 4. My Bible keeps closing. So you, know, you get over on the, those extreme right or extreme left of your Bible and it'll close, get right in the middle, and it'll stay open. You know what I mean? Genesis 4. It's awful quiet in here tonight. Mercy. And it's Wesley's birthday. My goodness. So check this out. Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 9, Where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? 
The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So notice, where's your brother? I don't know. Am I his keeper? He's a keeper of sheep. Am I my brother's keeper? What have you done? I, I hear innocent blood crying out to me. It's fascinating language. Abel was always calling on the name of the Lord. Verse 11, so now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Fascinating. Again, the Lord confronts Cain before the murder, confronts him after the murder. And when the truth finally comes out, the Lord doesn't kill Cain. He spares his life. Now, we're going to see in the end of this chapter where that is misunderstood by a fellow who's the first polygamist. He marries two wives. And he kills a man because the man hurt him. I don't know if it was just his emotions physically, but he said, this man hurt me and I took him out. And he bragged about it to his wives. I killed a man today. And they said, ooh, God's going to get you. And he said, oh, no. Because if God avenged Cain sevenfold, then surely he'll avenge me 70 times seven. That's where that language comes from, 70 times seven. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's an idiom. It's idiomatic. It's, it's a way of saying, saying he'll forgive me all that's needed. And so it, he misunderstood the mercy of God and, and went out and committed sin because God showed mercy, then I'm justified in doing what I do. He won't get me. How many of you know that there's a day of reckoning coming? There is a day coming. And, and you'll give an account at the judgment seat of Christ or that great white throne judgment, you're going to give an account for the things that you've done. And so this guy misunderstands the, the, the mercy of God. And we do that all the time. We think I got away with it or so-and-so got away with it. I mean, the Lord, thank, thank you, Lord. And we just go out and do what we shouldn't be doing in the first place. Well, it's a misunderstanding of the grace of God. But it is interesting to see the mercy of God displayed to Cain, who killed his own brother, Abel. And then he drives him out, sends him away. I remember years ago, I was in a class, in a college and career class with Sister Margie Doxy. And Sister Margie Doxy was just amazing. She's a legend in Bossier City, Louisiana. She's taught Sunday school for years and years and years and years. And she's just, just an awesome woman of God. She's been supportive of here, uh, us here at LifePoint through the years and 
Valerie and I through our different uh, adventures around the, 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 the country. And, and Sister Margie was teaching a class one day. She was on Adam and Eve. And she was on Cain and Abel. She talked about how Cain went out and went to the land of Nod. We see where Cain got married. And there was a guy in the class. And this guy, I could name his name, but I won't. But he was a funny guy. He had uh, he probably smoked one too many, if you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like he, Some of you know what I'm saying. And he said, Sister Margie, i got a question. He said, who did Cain marry? Did he marry a caveman? And Sister Margie, if you just know her, she's like so innocent. And she's like, well, you know, I, I don't think it was a caveman that, that Cain married. I'm not sure who he married, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't a caveman, right? This guy's like, did he marry a caveman? And so who did Cain marry? I don't know. He, he married one of his sisters. Had to be one of his sisters because Adam and Eve, we only get the names of the highlighted uh, people in the story that pushed the story along. They had sons and daughters. The Bible says that. So they had a bunch of children. And they ended up intermarrying. Now, how did that go down? Well, the gene pool wasn't as corrupt as it's become now. It's getting awkward. I'm getting like all funny looks on people's faces right now. I like to think these things through, right? The gene pool wasn't corrupt. It, it was different. They, it was, they were going to live 900 years. You know, it was, like, it was different. Things were different. So he married his sister. They had to marry sisters and what have you. Uh, and, and nieces and whatever just went on and on and on. Then they finally got more and more diverse, and it was hard to tell who was kid. I'm, I, I don't want to hear comments. I'm trying not to listen to any comments coming back. And so Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife. She conceived and bore Enoch and built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, and Mahujael begot uh, Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech, and Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada, the other was Zilna, and this is the one who totally confused the mercy of God and said, If Cain shall be avenged, verse 21 or 24. Uh, sevenfold in Lamech, 77-fold. Verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Here we see where Eve thinks that Abel was the one, but Cain killed Abel. And she thinks Seth is going to be the one that will reverse the curse. They're looking any second for someone to relieve them from the curse. They lived in Eden, the garden. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They didn't have to work for food. They got along. There was no brother killing brother. They're longing for Eden, especially Adam and Eve. They were the only ones who really knew what it was about. And Cain killed Abel, and she's like, they've blown it. But God has given me Seth, and surely Seth is the one, Lord, that you promised. 
And they're steady building altars and calling on the name of the Lord. They're, they're trusting, they're trusting, they're trusting. But notice this. Verse 26, and as for Seth, to him also a son was born. And he named him Enosh. Then men, not just Adam and Eve, men everywhere, men began to call on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Enosh means death doomed. It literally means death doomed. Now they named kids names, weird names back. I don't understand that. Like who in their right mind? Like who would name their kid death doomed? You know, like we've got Lyra Jane coming. We're so excited about that. And, and you know, you've got Silas and, and, and Lennox and all these different children's names. We had Caleb and Alexander and, and our daughter, Elizabeth, you know, you've got all these names. And they said, let's name this one Enosh. Seth and Mrs. Seth say, let's name our kid doomed to die. And so, what's his name? Doomed to die. Oh, what a lovely, charming name. Little doomed to die. He goes into the kindergarten and the first grade and second grade, third grade, fourth grade. Uh, who's got the answer? Oh, doomed to die. You've got it? Death doomed. What's that answer? They named him doomed to die. Death doomed. What was the significance of that? The significance was this. The realization was we are going to be stuck here for a while. And here we are thousands of years later still stuck here. We're going to be stuck here for a while. And so they named this kid Death Doom. Now, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but we don't see the full extent of his victory yet. But, brothers and sisters, hear me. As certain as his birth was promised, and as certain as his victory was assured, and, and was a reality. We have not yet seen, but we will see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ and of His kingdom. There shall be no end. And there will be the removal of the curse. And there will be another garden with a tree of life in it that's there for the healing of the nations. There is coming a restoration. As Acts, the book of Acts says, a restitution of all things. And it's coming because not of Cain and Abel or Seth, but because Mary had a son. And the angel said, Mary, you're going to call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. No wonder the angels that witnessed the fall witnessed the birth of Christ and burst into this physical scene realm. And the glory of the Lord shone around. And they began to sing to shepherds like Abel back in the day. They began to sing to shepherds about the Lamb of God. They were singing glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill towards man. For unto us is born this day in the city of David. Right? A Savior. The Christ. Everything 
in this book is telling the story of the Christ. I mentioned to you last time that my Baptist friends in North Louisiana, they're always trying to get you to accept Christ. That, that East Texas, North Louisiana accent, that Christ. Have you accepted Christ? Christ. It was just, I just got to be honest with you, it always struck me a little cheesy, uh, just in my thinking. But, but the idea is this entire book is about the anointed one who would remove the burdens and destroy the yokes. The one who would bring healing to the brokenhearted and deliverance to the bruised and, and restoring of sight to the blind. That, that, that Christ, it's all telling the story of the Christ that was promised and prophesied about in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman. And so we see that Jesus looks at the religious and he says, he's been trying to murder me, your father that is, for millennia. And you will accomplish, you will finally do it. Give yourselves a hand, you're going to do it. Oh, but Paul would say, if the princes of this world had known, if they would have understood what that death meant, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Because he would rise victorious with the keys of death, hell, and the grave. When I tell you our God is mighty to save, you hear what I'm saying. He is mighty to save. You can't get too far away. He's not looking at your sin and wringing his hands and sweating. What do I do with this one? He's been dealing with fallen man forever. He knows exactly what to do with your sin. He nailed it to the tree. And his blood is sufficient to wash you whiter than snow. Give him some praise. Can you do it right now? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So they named him Enosh, death doomed. And then they began to call on the name of the Lord hot and heavy, right? They're building altars and offering lambs and saying, please deliver us, Lord. Please, We're looking for that seed of the woman. They're calling on the name of the Lord. And then you've got this genealogy that's listed here. And I'll conclude with this. It gets into this genealogy. And listen, those begats, they're boring, trust me. I read a book years ago by Seth Rosenbaum called How to Enjoy the Boring Parts of the Bible. And it was a great book. You need to get it if you've never gotten it. It's a great book. Because those begets, don't let anybody fool you. When somebody tells you those begets are exciting, they lie unto you. They're not exciting. They are boring and weird and the names are crazy and you're trying to walk through those things in your Bible reading program and my stick and like hell and get that like why how, how is that how y'all do you know how to say that? Those those are difficult parts, but there are nuggets in there. They're in there for a reason. Holy Spirit put them in there for us. And there are nuggets in there. So we get this genealogy of Adam. We get this these descendants that come out and, and in this line we begin to see what's about to take place with our next major character who is going to be Noah. Noah. And it's going to go like this. We're going to see where there is a 
there is a man named Enoch. Now, this is not the previous Enoch that built this, the, city, the city of Enoch that was built by one of the descendants of Cain. This is a guy named, uh, this is a guy named Enoch, different Enoch, and he walks with God and is translated. The New Testament says he's translated. And, and before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And, and I just want to put some foundation here for next week. He pleased God. It says he walked with God and he pleased God. Now, how does he please God? You know, is he like nice to God? Like calls him Mr. God. You know, hello, Mr. God. He's, he's kind and polite to God. Thank you, Mr. God. Please, Mr. God. How do you please God? He walked with him and he pleased him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that's the only place faith comes from. Everybody don't have faith. We all say, I've been given, everybody's been given the measure of faith, etc. And I don't have time to get into that, but Paul later would say to the church at Thessalonica, pray that we're delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And if it's without faith, it's impossible to please God, then it's possible to be without faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. How did Enoch walk with God and please God? He walked in the Word. There wasn't a big old Bible back then. But there was some word regarding sacrifice, lambs, altars, calling on the name of the Lord. Stand with me right now. Calling on the name of the Lord. Sacrifices, lambs. Crying out to God for deliverance. Not trying to deliver yourselves. We'll see that later with the Tower of Babel. Trying to deliver themselves. Pleasing God's walking in the Word saying, You promised there was going to be one born that would redeem us. That would rescue us. I don't know how that's coming. I don't know how you're going to do it. But I'm calling on you, Lord. Oh, save us. Save us, God. Here's my lamb. Here's my sacrifice. Here's my altar. I'm looking to you, the author and the finisher of my faith. I'm looking to you for my salvation. And in doing so, Enoch pleased God, and God just gave him a premature rapture, his own personal rapture. Everybody else was left behind except Enoch. Enoch, God said, I'm going to just take you up higher. Enoch had a son, Methuselah. There's some important stuff into that. We'll get into it. Methuselah lived the longest of anyone on the earth. He died right before the flood. Methuselah, in turn, has a son named Lamech. We've seen a Lamech, different Lamech. Lamech has a son and names him Noah. And the word Noah means reliever, deliverer, curse, reverser. See, that narrative was being strung into the story of their lives. They were still looking for somebody. One of us is going to be born one day. Somebody's going to be born. 
And Lamech was like, maybe it's my boy. Curse reverser. So you got death doomed over here. And you got curse reverser over here. You know, glass half empty, glass half full. Curse reverser. Noah's not the one. But they're looking. They're looking. They're looking. Are you looking? Have you found Jesus? And just because, like I said, just because you don't see everything fulfilled yet doesn't mean it's not going to be fulfilled. Because one day, listen, he's coming. He's going to catch us away like old Enoch. Hallelujah. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Hallelujah. 